God is good. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Praise the Lord. Now, um, last week we had some meetings with um, Dr. Martin Edmund. Edmund. And, um, <laughs> and he was uh, a real blessing and um, was greatly appreciated. And he touched on the issue um, considering the, um, the, the, the false teaching that surrounds the, what we would, he, would, he termed in the general sense dominionism. Okay, and so he looked at the various aspects of this false teaching and how it's permeated the Church of Jesus Christ and its, um, uh, and its agenda and so forth. And so, you know, these are concepts I think some of us are, are familiar with. But um, as he was considering this, I was thinking and pondering about some of the aspects of dominionism and, uh, and its various forms that it manifests itself within the the Church of Jesus Christ and so this concept might be a familiar term to some of you, one because it's written in the Bible and two uh, because there's been a huge emphasis under the banner of dominionism and it's what has been labelled as the manifest sons of God. Okay, so who's familiar with that? Okay, so even if you're not, it doesn't really matter because what I want to preach on and I don't want to focus on that, I I highlight that aspect um, to illustrate that there is an emphasis, there is a false teaching, there is a, uh, a, a heresy that is out there that surrounds the, what is termed as the manifest sons of God theology. But nevertheless, the phrase itself is something that we find the, uh, in a manifest sons of God. And so, um, it's something that we find in the scriptures, in the Bible, in Romans chapter 8 that we're going to consider but we want to look at what the, actually the Bible does teach us in relation to this concept and this, this phrase and this thought. Because there's that, again, I, I make the emphasis, is that saying, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? Any truth that taken to an extreme becomes an error. And that's really what the Manifest Sons of God theology is uh, uh, in terms of, it, of the heresy. It's, it's, a, it's a truth. There's something that's here. It's spoken in the Bible, but they take it, they misrepresent it, they make a doctrine out of it, and they make an application that is completely unbiblical. And so, uh, but, so what I want to do is I, I want to just, you know, obviously I'm not even going to throw, I'm not even going to focus so much on the bathwater, I'm going to just focus on the baby. Because there is, as we find in the scripture, this phrase uh, and uh, the, 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 uh, the, the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. And what a teaching it is. Because the truth is clearly taught not only in the text that we're going to consider but throughout the New Testament and elsewhere and it's important that we identify what the Bible is actually teaching. We want to draw from the scriptures the truth that is being spoken of and highlighted here by Paul the Apostle. Now if you've known me now for any length of time, uh, one of my favourite chapters of the Bible up there in the top three is Romans chapter 8. It is an absolute glorious chapter of scripture 
when you consider what Paul is expounding in what we call that systematic theology and really he's taking us on a path that climax and finds its ultimate climatic expression in Romans chapter 8 and as I read it and as God over the course of years has enlightened my mind to its various truths, it excites my heart. And, uh, and it should excite your heart too, amen, because there are glorious truths that are contained within this chapter of the Bible that can cause you to shout amen and even jump up and down and get a little excited, may I say. Because you can't speak about these truths without getting a little bit emotional. You can't speak about these glorious truths without getting excited and being passionate. It's not just an intellectual concept, amen. There are, there are truths here that are to be embraced and to be uh, uh, joyfully experienced and that's what we want to identify with as we consider this golden nugget of truth, glor- the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we want to read our text in Romans chapter 8 and we want to start from verse 18. The Bible says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly, um, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we ought or what we should pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession. For the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Let's leave it there. Now, this whole theme centres around what Paul is referring to uh, and it's a quote uh, in found in verse 21. If you look at it there, he uses this expression into the glorious liberty of the children of of God, the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is something that is still, in, a, in essence, to come in its ultimate fulfilment. But you see, we're talking about a glorious liberty that is associated and is uh, is confined, or not, or not only to, but is confined ultim- uh, to the children of God. But you see, it's not just us that are anticipating this event. It's interesting as you consider what Paul is writing that he makes reference to clearly creation itself is not only waiting for but is also involved with 
the glorious liberty. In verse 21 it says, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so here we have the fact that creation itself is anticipating an event. Creation itself is anticipating, anticipating a time in the plan and purpose of God where it too will enter into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, the, and so the creation itself is waiting for this. In verse 19 it says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, we're living in the creation as it stands now and we are an obscure people. We are a unique people as Christians, as children of God and we are considered the scum of the earth. We bear the reproach of Christ. We are not regarded in the world in which we live. But I tell you, church, there's coming a day. There is coming a day and the creation is waiting for the manifestation, for the revealing of the sons of God. It is anticipating the glorious liberty that is to come in relation to the children of God. You see, that thought in and of itself is exciting, amen, that there is coming a day and that day the creation itself is awaiting for. Now, that is not just when we talk about the creation. There's actually, as you study this, there's a lot of conjecture in relation to what that's actually referring to. But no doubt it incorporates, I believe, various aspects when it says that, uh, that relates to um, the creation itself. We understand that um, uh, there is various groanings, and uh, as, as the scripture refers to, the earth is uh, un- under a curse as such. It's not as it was originally formed and intended to be. And so the creation itself has been brought unto a level of futility and it is awaiting to come into the expression of it and which is associated with the glorious liberty of the children of God, the manifestation of the, of the sons of God. And so it also, we understand, incorporates various aspects of creation. You know, I mean, the time is coming in the millennium where the lion will lay down with the lamb. You know, I mean, it's not something that's going to happen on a regular basis at the moment, is it? And so, because we understand through the fall, all of creation has been um, uh, um, uh, transformed, if you want to call it. It's been um, corrupted in various ways. And so it's, it's awaiting for a correction, if you want to call it, to, and to the glorious plan and purpose, but it will not happen outside of, and it is completely tied to the revealing of the, and the manifestation of the sons of God, the glorious liberty that we will enter into with Christ himself and all creation will be involved in this event. You see... It says in verse 19 that the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 22, if you look down, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Even up until now, there is a groaning, there are labours with birth pangs. The picture here is of of, of labour. And we understand the closer we get to the event, we understand the birth pangs and the labour pains and the groans that, uh, that is associated with all of creation. 
is awaiting that moment. Because I can tell you now, uh, uh, in, the, in that time, uh, there will be a correction to some degree, at least in relation to creation. In verse 22, oh, actually, verse, uh, sorry, verse 20, it, goes, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You see, who is it that subjected the earth and creation to futility? It was, it was God himself. And, and in doing so, he has, uh, he has subjected it, the Bible says, in hope. Now, that's very important that we take note of that because there is a hope that awaits the creation but it is tied specifically to the revealing and manifestation of the sons of God. And so, in light of this glorious truth that creation is, is associated with, there is a suffering that occurs, if you want to put it that way, in creation itself as it awaits in hope the ultimate fulfilment and plan and purpose of God. Creation is yearning to be clothed with the glory of God that is associated with the glory of the children of God, the glorious liberty of the children of God that is referred to in verse 21. But in saying that, the creation is not the only thing that is yearning or suffering or groaning or labouring. The other reality is that this truth applies to us. You see, it applies to us. We also are a part of that groaning. Now listen to verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, see it's not just the creation, but even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, that is the, uh, the redemption of our body. And so here you have it. You see, we as Christians, we have received an inheritance from God. There is something, we are new creations in Christ. We are in him, Christ is in us. There is a spiritual dimension to us that is utterly transformed and has taken place. But still we live in this mortal body. And we are still bound to it for this moment of time and we understand that there is coming a time, hallelujah, when there will be a redemption of the body. There is a glorification that is coming, amen, that is associated with the resurrection of Christ uh, and, uh, uh, and when we are to be raptured and resurrected in him, that we too, hallelujah, will be redeemed and we will have uh, likewise a new body. This is what is taught in 1 Corinthians 15 and it's a, it's a glorious body. The Bible says in verse 40 of 1 Corinthians 15, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in corruption. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And this is the hope that we have. This is what we are eagerly anticipating. This is one of the aspects that we are eagerly waiting for is the redemption of our body. 
And so we, don't, we kind of think of salvation and we understand the aspects that relate to the spiritual dimensions but there is also this physical aspect. That's why Christ was raised from the dead and he had in his hands and his feet, he, he, he was a physical body. When he ascended to heaven, he ascended in a physical body. And so this is what we will be partakers of but not yet. We're eagerly awaiting this aspect of the promises of God and our inheritance. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 8, if you go back. And if children, that's what we are, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see, our glorification is going to come together with Christ. But you see, what is also being identified here is that there is an aspect of suffering that is associated with the present life now. Verse 17, it says, If we indeed suffer with him. Look at verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yes, there is sufferings. There's the sufferings of Christ, there's the sufferings of life, there's that aspect that is associated with the life and the journey and the pilgrimage that we are on. And that, that is, there's a dimension to that that is to a degree beyond our control. But you see, in spite of any present suffering, it is nothing compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hallelujah! Nothing can compare to what is coming, to what is going to happen and what is going to be revealed in us. And this is the issue of the manifest sons of God. This is the glorious liberty of the children of God being referred to in the Scriptures. So in the midst of this pilgrimage, what's our mindset? Go to verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You see, we are persevering, church. That's why we are eagerly waiting. We are, in a sense, groaning within ourselves as the creation is likewise for this revealing of the manifest sons of God, for the the glorious liberty of the sons of God that is ultimately to come. And even we in ourselves, we groan, anticipating and waiting for that day because, amen, we want to be be present with the Lord and we want to be free from this physical body, amen, that that we uh, 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 are are, um, tied to now. We're not getting any younger, are we? Not getting thinner either. (laughs) But you see... We understand that the body is still subjected to the law of sin and death and that we will ultimately, uh, outside of the the rapture of the church, we will all have to face death in the physical sense. But you see, we are persevering, persevering. This is an interesting word in the scripture and it comes from two Greek words but it means to stay under but it also means to be under in terms of having to persevere. We're under the sufferings in this context of life and of Christ. But it, says, uh, but it also it means with a, a cheerful endurance. You see, so even though there is an element of suffering, our attitude is not one that's mopey. 
we, we, we can still cheerfully endure. And yes, I'm not saying that, uh, that's why the Bible says count it all joy when you fall into various trials because there's a dimension of life that we understand and experience that supersedes anything that the world can identify with and we can, we can persevere. doesn't matter how you feel, what it is that you're going through, God causes us to triumph in Christ. You see, let me ask you, what's the basis of this perseverance that the scripture is referring to? What's the basis? Because failure to fully understand this, we don't just, dis, we just don't persevere for perseverance sake. We're, we're not just holding on, gritting it out, so to speak. Okay? Sometimes when people talk about perseverance, they just see it in a, in a more, carn, if you want to put it, carnal way. I'm just persevering, I'm just holding on. And I, I know that in a sense sometimes that's what it is. But you see, it's got to be more than that. And when I say more than that, not that the outward circumstances may necessarily be different, but I'm talking about that which is at work and is operative inside of you and me. You see, we must understand what underpins this perseverance that the Bible is talking about. And failure to grasp and experience this will result in a, in a, in a, in a weariness. It will result in uh, the vulnerabilities of discouragement and defeat and um, ultimately for some unbelief and, and in, in the issue of lack of faith. So what is it then that underpins this perseverance? Well, there's a key to this. And you may or may not have already picked it up, but we're going to turn to it now and I want to focus on this and I want to make this the emphasis of my message this morning. Go to verse 23. In light of all these realities, it says, Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, now, we are awaiting the redemption of the body. We are groaning within ourselves. There's a degree of suffering, but listen, there's a truth here that we sometimes read and just skim over without fully realising and to realise we need God's revelation. We need the scripture to enlighten this reality to us. But listen to this. It is the, the Bible says, Now we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit... See, when you hear that word, what does it actually mean to you? You see, I know I've read that scripture for many years, but I tell you, one day God switched the light on. One day that went bang and my understanding was absolutely enlightened to what this literally means, not just in some intellectual way, but in, uh, in practical terms as we live and we walk the Christian life. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. And there is something in that that underpins our ability to persevere. We're not just holding on for holding on's sake. We're not just, uh, you know, hang, we, are, we, we can be victorious in the, on the basis that we have the first fruits of the Spirit within us. Oh, the first fruits of the Spirit. Oh, there's a groaning within ourselves, absolutely, but there's another aspect that's concurrent, that's a, that's a reality right at the same moment, and that is the Spirit of God within us that causes us to be victorious, that causes us to trust, that causes us to see, that causes us to understand, that causes us to have joy and to be able to persevere with a cheerful endurance through this pilgrimage. 
This is what makes perseverance possible. It's Christ in us. It's the Spirit of God that is in us. I mean, look, go back to verse 11 in Romans 8. It says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, this is the first fruits of the Spirit, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You see, the Spirit of God is that which quickens our mortal bodies. And though we may feel tired, though we may feel weary, though we may feel ill, though we may be suffering, whatever the realities of life are, hallelujah, the Bible says that the Spirit quickens our mortal bodies. And that means, amen, that despite any level of pain, any level of suffering, whatever it is, hallelujah, there is, that does not determine my state in a spiritual, in a mental and in an emotional level. What determines where I, who I am and where I stand is the Spirit of God that quickens my mortal body. And, so there, and that's why in the face of death and in the face of suffering we can look these things in the eye and still have absolute peace and absolute confidence, absolute joy even and anticipating, oh, what a day it will be, amen, because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord and I win. I'm always winning. God will always cause me to triumph in Christ Jesus. And how glorious it is. This is the life-giving spirit. This is why I love chapter 8 of Romans it gives us this insight you know there's a progression that Paul's taking as he writes and in, and then he's bringing it into a practical application in chapter 8 and that in which the spirit of God works for us in reality now and I tell you it's the, the aim is to embrace and allow for the spirit of God to manifest in the way in which God intent, has intended it to give us this life it's the as some would call it the victorious Christian life or the deeper Christian life but really Really, it should be the normal Christian life. You see, there's two aspects to what we're dealing with here. There is a glorification that is coming, that is tied to and associated with the coming of Christ when there will be a redemption of the body. Okay, that's one aspect of truth. But the other aspect of truth is that there is the glory of God already in us. Okay, and this is what we have to grasp. This is what we have to understand. This is what we have to experience. This is why, amen, we can be partakers of the sufferings of Christ and have the hope of future glory and yet at the same time we have the glory of God within us. Let me illustrate this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. See, there's a glorification that is coming, that is tied to and revealed with Christ himself. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you, were partake, that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You see, when his glory is revealed is when our glory will be revealed. Because the scripture says in Romans 8 that we will be glorified together with him. And so the glorification of the sons of God is when Christ returns. It is with Christ. 
You see, the era of the manifest sons of God theology and dominionism is somehow saints have to come into this full realisation and this level of dominion and maturity in Christ and there's a, a, a full manifestation of the sons of God to the earth and that we reign and we rule and you know, we're going to show Christ. But that's not what the scripture teaches. You cannot separate the, the manifestation of the sons of God, the, lib, the glorious liberty of the children of God outside the return and coming of our Lord and Saviour. It is utterly tied to and associated with that. When his glory is revealed, we will be glorified together with him. And it's at that moment, hallelujah, that we will be transformed and the body will be redeemed. And, we'll be, uh, and we will have glorified bodies, glory to God, and that's when it all happens. That's one aspect, that's the glorification that's coming. But then there's the other side to this, there's the parallel, and this is that there's a glorification process that is already happening. You see, what's the basis of the Gospel? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, our union with Jesus Christ already it starts the process. When you become born again, you are a new creation in Christ, the glory of God is in you. And there is a process of which we are being changed and we are being transformed. We call it the process of sanctification and in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says we are being changed from glory to glory. And there is a process that is taking place within us. We are being changed, amen, by God, or at least we should be. And we are being changed from glory to glory. And this is the process, this is the pilgrimage of the Christian, the journey of the Christian, and in doing so, it is the ultimate fulfilment where we'll be ultimately glorified with him. You know, when they looked at my family the other night and they were identifying their uniqueness, you know what they're seeing? They're seeing Christ. They're seeing the glory of of God and my family. Not me. You don't know who I am. <laughs> my wife and my children do. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that I have my irks and quirks. And so, but, uh, but what they're identifying is the glory of God. And we are being changed from glory to glory. And there's a transformation of our very nature. There's a transformation in which we are being conformed to the image of his son. And this is what is reflective of us and it will ultimately be fulfilled in being glorified together with him. I mean, what a glorious truth this is, amen? This truth is reiterated again and again in the Bible. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible says in verse... Well, actually, let's just read verse 18. Or even verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see, that's why we, in Christ, we already have a taste of that liberty. We live by the law of liberty. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The first fruits of the Spirit. This is the work that the Spirit of God is doing in each and every one of us. Now let's shoot down. I want you to go to verse 16. He says here, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, 
Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, from glory to glory. The outward man is perishing. The outward man's getting frail and older. But not the inward man. The inward man is growing deeper and bigger and is being transformed from glory to glory. Listen in now verse 17 in light of the sufferings of life. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How glorious! Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, we are spiritually minded, church. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And we have a spiritual mind. The mind of Christ. And, we, and this is the law in which we live by. Listen, let's go down to verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. It's the same thing being illustrated here. Verse 3, If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, it says, have you ever noticed how many times Romans says groan? Paul uses this word groan a lot. I mean, is, is Paul a complainer? Is he? <laughs> he's complaining because he wants the glory, amen? He's groaning, not because he's complaining, because he wants what's rightfully his and he can't wait for it any longer. He's anticipating a time and he knows it's coming and he's groaning within himself and he uses the word regularly. So, but again, again, you know, we can be, that, that doesn't mean every time you groan that you're not complaining, okay? So let me just say that. People say, oh, well, I'm just groaning, you know, no, you're complaining. But he says, for we who are in this tent groan because we, we're being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed with that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Oh, glory to God. This is what's coming. Verse 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee is a down payment. God has given you... When we, you know when you put something on lay-by or you put a deposit down on something... And you say that is, uh, uh, that's a down payment. That spirit, God has given us the first fruits of a spirit as a guarantee of the redemption of the purchased possession. Our body is not our own. We were bought at a price. And God has a plan for our body. Hallelujah. It's a glorified body. So be excited. Oh, you're not excited. Maybe you're happy with your body now. I don't know. <laughs> but you see... This very thing, it's about the first fruits of the Spirit. And what an inheritance we already have and what an inheritance we're going to have. And it's on this basis that we can persevere in hope. So when, when Romans says, that we, how can you hope for what you don't see? Because well, hope is defined by that which you don't see. And so, uh, so that's why we persevere with a cheerful endurance because we know we are fully assured we already have the Spirit 
We already have the first fruits and we know that the day is coming where we will enter in to the fullness of that glory. So, in saying that, that we are to persevere, let me ask you this. Does it mean that it is easy? No. Does it mean that it's easy? The answer to that is no. And may I suggest to you that this, it's in light of this reality that it's not easy and it's light of, in light of the reality that we are weak, that God not only sees that, but in his grace he has made provision for it. Because we're persevering, but we're not just persevering on our own church. Okay? See, sometimes you may feel as though you're alone. I'm just persevering, I'm just persevering. But when you say you're persevering, you must understand biblically what you mean when you say you're persevering. One, you already have the Spirit, you already have the, the grace of God and the glory of God. But listen to this. Now go to verse 20, I think it's verse 24 of Romans 8. Have a look there. Actually, verse 26. You see, God knows that we're weak, so he's made further provision for our weaknesses. This is why we've got no excuse, church. There's no excuse for unbelief. There's no excuse for defeat. Because God has given us so much to make sure that we triumph. And even, even he knows we're human. He knows we're but flesh. He knows that we're weak. And yet even in that he still makes provision. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings. (laughs) Groanings which cannot be uttered. Listen to that. There it is again, groanings that cannot be uttered. Can I share with you how the Lord showed me this? I was born into a Pentecostal church and I was told that that scripture is about speaking in tongues. But you know what I've learnt? It's not about speaking in tongues at all. (laughs) It's speaking without tongues, actually. It's groanings which cannot be uttered. It's words that you can't even articulate. In the midst of your suffering, you cannot find the expression. And you groan in your spirit because of some of the the sufferings of life. And the spirit kicks in. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate in which he represents Christ to us and us to Christ. And in doing so, in the midst of our weaknesses, where we say, God, help us. You know, that's why Judy, you know, she's lost that piece of paper. She's crying out in her weakness. Lord, you know, God cares about the little things, doesn't he? And then he says, he says God said, calm down. That's right, calm down. <laughs> and then the Spirit took on and, and then and ultimately led her to what she was after. You see, but this is the, the truth, is that the Spirit of God, he... Uh, he intercedes with us for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I remember, uh, so 20 years ago now, I was in a time of trial in my own life. I was struggling with a few things and I remember going to a prayer meeting and I tell you, I sat down to pray and I couldn't find the words to pray. Now you might say, you know, just pray. and I, in doing so, you can, I mean, I can praise the Lord. There's no, there, nothing stops me from praising God or giving God the glory. There's no excuse for, for that. But as I sat before the Lord wanting to articulate what I was feeling and what I was going through, I couldn't find expression. I couldn't find words. And I, and I, I, I just was, was broken before the Lord. And I just, so I picked up my Bible. And as I read my, the Bible, I was, I was reading this particular verse. And it's, again, it was like one of those lights that just went on. And I realised that God was interceding for me right there and then. 
And I learnt something so wonderful that in the midst of my weakness, in the midst of my groanings, in the midst of, 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 of my suffering, that God, the Spirit of God, was already, in, uh, with groanings that I couldn't utter, was already uh, at work on my behalf, lifting me up before the Lord. And so this is what, this is what the Scripture is teaching us. And when you look at this and when you understand that, it gives you such hope, it gives you confidence. You don't feel like you're alone. And if you do, then you know, speak to a brother or sister. Glory to God. But you see, this is all associated with the Spirit of God, with the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit in us as a guarantee, the Spirit who's transforming us from glory to glory, the Spirit who comforts us, the Spirit who teaches us, the Spirit who intercedes for us. So, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So we are prone to weakness, but God has even made provision for that glory to God. Now he, verse 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. Thank God. So the Holy Spirit intercedes and actually, I mean, we're not going to go into this, but you can go further and it talks about uh, all things working together for goodness, for knowledge, having been predestined, conformed to the image of his Son. But look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glory. The glory that we are partakers of, church. Then verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When you begin to understand these truths that Paul's referring to, when you begin to identify the reality of the Spirit of God and how, not just that he exists, but how he works, then I tell you now, what can you say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No devil in hell. Nothing, and then you can read on, I won't read it, but what shall separate us from the love of God? I was listening to a song on the way to church with Nathan. He was, had his learners, he was driving his learners, and I, you know, I think you're supposed to tune into the road when you're driving with a learner, but I had the volume full. And we were singing in the car, Ah, there's that song, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded, I will not be separated from the love. Anyway, I won't sing the song, but I'll leave it there. But it was, it was, it was capturing this truth. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have the Spirit. And it's this truth that we have to identify with, this is the challenge, this is the purpose, if you want to call it, of the Spirit of God, that we would learn to walk in the Spirit, we would learn to live in the Spirit, we would learn to be led by the Spirit, we would be filled with the Spirit. This is, in essence, the achieving of the Spirit-filled life. And we are the glorious... Uh, uh, we are entering into this glorious truth and it's the ultimately will be expressed in this glorious liberty of the children of God. I was actually read a book and, uh, and by a man named Deverne Franck and he, uh, he writes and he says, a child is one born of God, a son is one taught of God. He's making a distinction. A child has God's nature, a son has God's character. 
And so you see, we are sons of God, but we must be we must learn to be those that are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God, for we must come into a place of maturity as Christians. And see, this is the challenge of the Christian life, isn't it? That we would not remain immature, that we would not remain infantile, that we would not after years, uh, still not understand certain spiritual realities of our inheritance in Christ and live without, you know, that's why the Bible says, my, my, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They, they, they don't understand certain truths and that's why when you see and meet Christians sometimes who have been over the longevity of time and they, uh, these truths are still foreign to them, you have to ask yourself, why? Have you sought the Lord? Have you read your Bible? It's not just dependent on what church you go to. Oh, that's a great benefit. But I tell you, if you have a heart for God, if you're seeking God, if you're reading the Bible, God will open your understanding. He will reveal these glorious truths to you. You see, what I'm talking about is not tokenism, church. I'm talking about a reality of the Christian life that many fail to grasp and experience. We have the first fruits of the Spirit the first fruits of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you, it excites my heart when I ponder this as I reflect upon it and, I, uh, uh, and, and as I consider it. I tell you, I cannot but thank God and rejoice in Him because this is my hope. This is why I can go on. This is why I can do what I do. It's because it's not of some life that's of me. It's not my ability. It's not, a, it's just not generated by me. This is the work of God. This is the Spirit of God at work in me and working through me. And it's up to us to yield ourselves to this process and allow God to have his way in us and through us. And so I pray that when you find this term, the first fruits of the Spirit, that we wouldn't just use it as a token saying, as a cliche as such, but I pray that God would bring each of us as individuals, men and women, into the experience of what it is to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be led of the Spirit. So in saying all of that, there is a glorious liberty coming to the child of God. We have already what's at work and we have that which is to come and these are the things that I believe Paul is referring to here in chapter 8. How glorious. There's a time coming, church. The rapture, the dead in Christ will rise first and we that remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. In the twinkling of an eye we shall be changed and we will be glorified together with him. Hallelujah. What a day it will be. What a day it will be. Glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. God, let this word, let this truth, let it, Lord, settle in our hearts. I pray, God, even now that you would give revelation to those that are hearing these words of life, these words of truth. Lord, let there be not just words, Lord. Let your words are spirit and they are life. God, I pray that you would quicken even now all those that are sitting here, Lord, in relation to this glorious truth that we have just observed, Lord. Oh God, make it a reality in our lives. Bring us into an expression, Lord, of this wonderful truth and cause us, Lord, 
to walk in the Spirit, cause us to live in the Spirit, to walk in victory, to live in victory. Because God, you always cause us to triumph. We are a people, Lord, that have been set free. And Lord, there's a liberty that we already have that is internal, that will ultimately, Lord, be external. And God, we thank you for the inheritance that we have, for that which we have already received and that which we're going to receive. Oh God, blessed be your holy name. Amen. Can I get the musicians? Let's sing that song together. What a day it will be.